HEC Breakthroughs. A knowledge at HEC Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to HEC Breakthroughs, your monthly podcast by the Knowledge at HEC team. Breakthroughs brings you the best of HEC Paris's academic research from professors and PhD students. We show how this research relates to and impacts on the challenges our world is facing. I'm Daniel Brown, the school's chief editor. Today we talk to Anne-Sophie Chaxel. She's associate professor at marketing here, and she's just brought out a study on truth distortion in the COVID-19 crisis that the world's experiencing. You can read more about it in a Forbes op-ed that just came out. What's really interesting here is that Anne-Sophie uses marketing techniques like the stepwise evolution of preferences for this research. As we'll hear, Anne-Sophie and fellow academic Sandra Laporte use such tools to see how people respond to controversial statements linked to the virus when they're delivered by popular personalities. And the more controversial these statements are, the more people seem to adhere to them. HEC Breakthroughs. Welcome to HEC Breakthroughs, Anne-Sophie Chaxel. Well, thanks for inviting me. First of all, I want to congratulate you. Uh, you've just been recognized by Poets and Quants as one of the 40 under 40 business school professors, um, I think, in the world. Uh, and that's an outstanding uh, reward, especially as you were recommended by a high number of people. It's been quite a year since you also garnered the uh, Vernimen Prize. Uh, how do you feel about these awards? I feel like extremely uh, grateful to the students. I mean, and not only the students, the HEC community in um, in general. And um, it's uh, it's really an honor to have that. I just cannot believe all the support I got from the students during uh, during the last year. Um, it was a year with highs and lows, like for everybody else. And having the support, the love of the students was uh, was really absolutely awesome. How do you you reconcile teaching and research? So okay. I mean, for my own mindset, I love both. Um, I love that in teaching, the more you give, the more you get back. It's uh, and everything is under your your control. So the more you work for the students, uh, the the better. In research, sometimes um, you know you you work very hard, but sometimes you do not get the results that you intended. There is a little bit more randomness. So I kind of feel like I need the teaching part to do well in my research. And then, of course, I mean, what I study in research, sometimes I can bring it in the classroom. So it's very complementary. So let's turn to your research, Anne-Sophie Chaxella. The latest paper is called Truth Distortion, a process to explain polarization over unsubstantiated claims related to COVID-19. It was published in January's Journal of the Association for Consumer Research. Could you describe to our listeners uh, this new review that's published uh, by University of Chicago? Yes, so uh, it's, it's a journal that has recently been uh, launched by the University of Chicago Press. And um, the idea is that you have special topics. So for each issue of a journal, you're going to have a, a topic, like for instance, like uh, let's say uh, food and decision-making, or in this case, it was a special issue on, um, on COVID. And so the idea is to have a call for papers on, 
on this topic and really to link as much as possible research and practice. So to have research that has practical implication. And so when I saw that there was a special issue on COVID and I was, I had this, this research idea in my, in my mind and I was like, okay, I have, to, I have to write it. I have to write this paper and we'll, uh, we'll see how it's received. And it was very well received and we got a fast, uh, fast turnaround time. So it was great. Very fast, and we'll come back to that later, and also this link with your previous research. Now, fake news is something of a neologism. You use the term truth distortion, quote-unquote, and you show how it can lead to a polarization in society. Uh, in your research, you focus on the major health question of COVID-19. Beyond the fact that the review decided it was a special, what decided you to focus on this issue in relation to truth distortion? Because maybe there's so much uncertainty about its outcome? So I have to rewind because like, basically it has been years that I'm studying information distortion. And so that's how people distort uh, actual neutral information in the same direction as their prior preferences. And um, I've done that for almost 10 years now. Um, and I, so I know this uh, domain very, very well. And uh, basically during the lockdown last year, this new research really, really started with the observation that uh, we had a number of so-called experts in the media that were sharing their opinions about a wide range of topics. And um, really making a number of, of, uh, of claims uh, that were very much unsubstantiated. I would not say that they were fake news, by the way, because it was just extremely uncertain at the time, right? Which we just didn't know. And most of the time, it seems like, you know, it's expected from people to be able to distinguish what's true and what's not true, but it's almost impossible because there's so much uncertainty. And so this is how I got this idea of adapting what I usually do on information distortion on distortion of truth judgments. So when you have a fact that is uncertain, would people distort it uh, in the direction of their prior preferences? So for instance, a preference for a public figure, right? So that's how it all started, how the idea came up in my mind. You've got two competing theories here. You've got well, Nicolas talking about an accidental leak, or you've got an accidental jump from a, a bat, an intermediate species, into a human. In both cases, I still actually think it's accidental. You use uh, in your research here this market strategy called Stepwise Evolution of Preferences uh, for a Product, SCP. Could you describe how you adapted this phenomenon of um, consumer psychology, which, uh, as you said, you've been researching for the last decade, to this uh, specific uh, truth distortion issue? Yeah, so it's it's a good question. So usually we use we use this method by looking, let's say, so you talked about consumer psychology. So we'd have people, you know, pick between uh, two products, product A, product B, and then you know people would have a prior preference for one of the product, and then we'll see what happens to how they process information about each product and see how they distort really uh, the interpretation of information based on their prior preferences. This is what we usually do. So in this current paper, basically, instead of having a prior preference for a product, we had a prior preference for a public figure. Right. And then we had statements not about the product, not, not information about the product, but we actually had statements 
uh, that were uncertain. So in study one, it was actually about scientific statements related to COVID that were very much uncertain at the time. And then we looked at how the preference for the public figure would change the interpretation of the truth judgments. And to, uh, to compute a score of distortion, we basically uh, compare how people, uh, if they have a preference for a public figure, uh, interpret the information and how it compares to a control group. So in the control group, people do not have uh, a prior preference for a public figure, and we compare both, uh, both the score. So it's, it's a small adjustment in terms of methodology, uh, but quite impactful in terms of uh, results. Now, uh, truth distortion, of course, is not a new phenomenon. Some dated back to uh, Ramses II, uh, 33 centuries ago, when uh, he uh, decided that uh, the stalemate of the Battle of Kadesh uh, was, in fact, a victory for his troops against the Hittites. What is so new about the 21st century version that's being called fake news for you? Well, I think for me, and again here, we're not, we're not talking about fake news, right? We're really talking about information that's uncertain and how people actually uh, interpret it in a way that they want, to, uh, they want to interpret it. I think what's very new uh, nowadays is that it's so much easier to share information that is, uh, that is uncertain, especially with social media. The fact that uh, we saw so much, we see so much information for which it's very difficult to disentangle what's true and what's not true. I think it's, it's, uh, it makes it very important to understand very precisely uh, what happens when people read this information and what do we do with it. In our case, what we see is that people distort it in the direction of their prior preference for the public figure. And people who dislike the public figure do the same thing, right? But in the opposite direction. So you end up with people who keep distorting, keep uh, boosting their preference for the public figure because they're distorting. So it's a self-feeding process. And uh, overall, it just means that all the uncertainty that we have in information is going to drive polarization. Fake disgusting news the fake media and the fake news refused to call it right the research was spread uh, over less than a year uh, between February and June 2020 uh, over two studies and it involved a thousand four hundred people briefly how did you go about organizing this so um, it was actually easier than what it looks like in the sense that we have a great panel of respondents now like Amazon Mechanical Turk or that, that's the one we used or prolific that allows us to um, actually collect data online in a pretty speedy uh, speedy way. So as soon as we had uh, we had the idea and because I'm so familiar with the methodology it was actually quite fast to uh, to set up the study and just collect the data collect the data online. There is so much truth distortion around COVID-19. What made you choose uh, the two strands that you did um, for the first one anyway uh, of these two experiments uh, that the uh, virus is man-made and that uh, hydroxychloroquine is a cure? So, uh, yeah, at the time, we picked those two statements as uh, potential statements to be distorted, right? Uh, because they were very uncertain at the time when we collected the information, when we ran our studies, these ideas were out there. It was not substantiated, right? Like in terms of uh, science, it was still very uncertain. So that's why, that's why we picked them. But it's a super interesting question in the sense that uh, I know I'm running another research study, not in three months, a much more uh, developed study than uh, 
than this one in which we are actually checking, uh, and at the moment we are just pretesting different types of statements. So in this case, uh, at the time of the study, uh, hydroxychloroquine is a cure for COVID-19. It was just very uncertain last year. But uh, now we are going to look at different types of statements. So fact, opinions, uh, fact that are maybe fake news. Uh, do people distort that as well? Right. And so I don't have the answer yet because the data collection is underway. Uh, but I think we, we need to check more carefully different types of statement and see when is distortion happening. And hopefully, maybe in some cases, it does not happen. That's what we hope to find. Is that also with the same um, type of workers uh, from the same database uh, that you use with uh... So at the moment, uh, yes, I mean, we'll, use, we'll be using probably a, a mix of Amazon Mechanical Turk and, uh, and Prolific, but it's still at the early stages. So in this case, it's going to make, take me much more, probably a, a good year to collect the data. And um, I've already booked the HEC lab. So hopefully I'll be collecting as well some, um, some data in the lab in the fall. One of your results is that uh, basically one worker in 10 only change their minds from their early preferences when these distortions are shared by a source they like or trust. And in this case, you've built a scenario again um, around a, a judge uh, who was going to be nominated to the Court of Appeals in the U.S. How do you react to this result? Yeah, a bit more than 10% actually change their mind when there are these assertions that are so clearly distorted or it's seemingly clearly distorted? Yes, so it's, um, you know, in the context of our study, 10% of uh, people changed, uh, changed their preference. But uh, there are two things to, uh, to remember. The first thing is that this is a public figure that actually does not exist. The cover story that we have at the beginning is very, very positive towards the public figure. So you have, you have somebody who is doing great at the beginning of, uh, of, of our study. This person is absolutely great and seems like, like a great public figure. And then the, this person is stating uncertain statements, right? There's nothing crazy, nothing like, it's just very, very uncertain. And so yes, 10% are going to change their mind in, uh, in those circumstances. Does not mean that if uh, their commitment for the public figure was lower at the beginning of the study, if uh, the, um, the, the people were not as committed to the public figure, that right, would have maybe different type of, uh, of numbers. So I think this is interesting as well. So we, I'm actually running right now a study that tries to um, manipulate that. So we have a study in which we have a public figure that's, uh, that has a very, very positive profile and then we have a public figure that has a very negative profile at the beginning of the study. And we are trying to look at how it's impacting how people interpret the information related to what uh, this person might say on different type of topic. So but this is a very interesting question. You say the most exciting part of uh, your uh, results, uh, Anne-Sophie Chaxel, is this research indicating that people grow more supportive of these distortions as they increase linearly, I'm quoting, with increased controversial statements, uh, whereas you actually expected, and you say this in your paper, a more neutral judgment with time. Yeah, so that's absolutely right. So basically, we were kind of expecting, uh, and that's how we ran the study, that the more people were committed towards a public figure, the more they like this person, the more they will distort their truth judgments. Uh, that kind of was making sense, but we, 
we don't really know what would happen to people who do not like the public figure. And our first hypothesis is that really we would not see any distortion. Like if you are not committed, if you don't like somebody, you should just be relatively neutral towards what this person says. And what we found is actually these people who dislike the public figure actually distort information as well. They distort their truth judgment as well, all by in the other direction, right? So they believe uh, what the public figure is saying even less than the control group, which for us was a little bit surprising because again, absence of commitment, we're thinking we would not see distortion. And so this is why, again, we are running those additional studies now in which we are examining, examining that um, trying to understand uh, what's uh, what's going on here. The former U.S. President Donald Trump was, is one of the most high-profile modern perpetrators of truth distortion. And that's not me saying that. I think the New York Times did a sort of daily fact-checking on him. How would you say that truth distortion uh, has evolved since his departure in uh, January 2021 from the office? Uh, has it gone a bit underground, for example? Yeah, I mean, I like the word underground. I mean, I think I, I think when, when you have a research that's about unsubstantiated claims and uh, polarization, I think it's it's uh, fast to link it to what Trump uh, would have said. But it, it's really not about that. It's really about the fact that we, everybody, we, we do it. We distort our truth judgment. It has nothing to do with only uh, Donald Trump. We, we tend to do that always. Like the, the phenomenon in itself is, uh, is very robust. And so uh, when you say underground, um, yes and no, in the sense that I think we are less aware of it. It's less in our face. Um, but the fact that uh, we as individuals have this bias that we tend to um, believe more um, to an uncertain statement based on our prior preferences, this happens all the time. And we, we're just not aware of it. It's, we have a complete uh, blind spot for our biases in general, but for this one in particular. And um, I think, again, like the fact that we have so much uncertainty uh, right now in, uh, in, in the general context, and the fact that we tend to share so much uncertain information on social media makes it like the perfect combination to have polarization in society. Donald Trump or no Donald Trump. This research, uh, you say, is useful not just for the scientific and academic community and the public at large, but also for public figures. Uh, could you elaborate, uh, Anne-Sophie? I think what we meant really here is to have the, the fact that the phenomenon of distortion is so widespread is, is clearly something that the bias in itself should be made aware to, uh, to, to, most, uh, to most people, including public figures, and so being very careful to what type of statements are voiced. Right. So the fact that uncertain statements are likely uh, more likely to be distorted. Right. And so um, that stating in certain statements for public figures uh, is, is a dangerous game, I would say, uh, because it can be a source of polarization. HEC Breakthroughs, a knowledge at HEC podcast. 
The focus of your research was on American workers um, through uh, Amazon Mechanical Turk. How much uh, do you feel that their sociological background affects truth distortion or not? You, you say it's a global phenomenon, but how much is it due to national and regional cultures and context? Uh, is it exactly the same in Asia and South America and Europe and, and Africa? Or you feel that... Those cultures do impact people's approach and uh, judgments. Yes, so that's um, that's an excellent question. I think it's uh, it's a question that we have a lot in uh, in cognitive psychology. Here, we are really looking at how people interpret information, right? So the roots are really in, in cognitive psychology, and usually in cognitive psychology, we we tend to say that uh, we all share the same basic cognitive mechanism, right? That there is not. Uh, much difference in terms of uh, the, the large phenomenon that that is uh, truth distortion. That being said, it does not mean obviously that you cannot have uh, some type of context, social context, a cultural context that are going to make the phenomenon more or less strong. Different type of culture, for instance, that's uh, that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting question. So I would say that on average. All culture are going to show distortion, but based on different type of social background, for instance, as you're saying, you could see a little bit more, a little bit less. Finally, uh, Anne-Sophie Chaxel, um, you've written that you are continuing research on this topic, and you, you said it earlier. For example, in ways to fight uh, truth distortion, how are you going about this? So it's a, it's a very good question, because in 10 years, I found it very hard to actually uh, uh, reduce distortion. So in the past, it was information distortion. Here we're talking about truth distortion, but it's, it's, it's just extremely hard. So I have another paper that I've published a, a, a few years ago that was on the counter-arguing and the, the fact that uh, counterfactuals, thinking about the opposite, like a counterfactual mindset can actually reduce distortion. So uh, practicing uh, being a devil's advocate would match that it's, it's a difficult endeavor just because people are not aware they are distorting and because it's so widespread and uh, it's, it's just a very natural phenomenon and so therefore it's just extremely difficult like for any type of bias to actually counteract besides counterfactual I think um, there's a lot of research that's showing as well that distortion is very much linked to intuition uh, so the more intuitive we are, the more uh, the more we are distorting. So you know, really uh, using our uh, deliberate type of uh, thinking, thinking hard, thinking about uh, being a devil's advocate, all of that are things that can uh, attenuate a little bit the phenomenon without really uh, completely stopping it. Can I then add just one final question? Do you, do you feel that uh, new generations are more susceptible to truth distortion because of speed? The, you, you talked about the social media being prolific and therefore being an echo chamber that's much more powerful than the one that Ramses II had in 13 BC. But do you feel that also the zapping has an effect on truth distortion? That if you don't have, don't give time to deliberation and reflection that will catalyze more distortion and therefore the young generations are more vulnerable to this. 
So I would not say that. Actually, I would not necessarily say that the younger generation would distort more because they are more intuitive. I think they are not necessarily more intuitive. They are sometimes more open to new ideas than, uh, than the older generation that would have stronger prior beliefs, stronger preferences that could distort more as well. So I could see both sides, actually, of, uh, of the story here. That being said, what is true is that the younger generation is actually more exposed uh, usually uh, to social media, right? And so to information that sometimes share on social media in a way that that's not checked, right? So much more uncertain information maybe on social media. And in such a case, you would see more distortion. So it's more in the consumption of media that, uh, that's different, not so much in uh, the way they are interpreting the information, if that makes sense. It does indeed. And this leads me to ask, um, is there anything you'd like to add from our exchange that I, I've missed in, in my questions? Or No, you know, I'm, I thank you so much for, uh, for the interview. I think I'm, uh, for me, it's a, it's a very exciting type of uh, new research to extend my usual research on, uh, on information distortion towards truth distortion. And again, the fact that I have two great uh, research papers that I'm hoping come out of this uh, of this paper in this journal it's very exciting for me and that's what i'm going to be busy on in the next year so um that's um, that's really great so thank you so much thank you and sophie Chexel for sharing with our listeners of hec breakthroughs podcast thank you so much bye bye hec breakthroughs a knowledge at hec podcast HEC Associate Professor Anne-Sophie Chaxel speaking to us just before our summer break. We'll be sure to invite her back to HEC Breakthroughs to discuss her latest research on information and truth distortion. Well, that's it for now. Don't forget to tune in to next month's podcast. That's when we'll talk to HEC Professor of Strategy Olivier Siboni about his phenomenal new book called Noise. This six-year labor of love was co-written with Cass Sunstein and Nobel laureate Daniel Kahneman. Kahneman, by the way, has been invited to HEC in early October. Noise is a monumental work on human error. The 460-page book has shot up to the top of the bestsellers lists on both sides of the Atlantic. In our half-hour exchange, Olivier describes noise as a form of human error that can be as damaging as bias. Noise is a problem that is everywhere, that cannot be seen, that can only be fought by preventative measures. We give fairly detailed examples of how companies can use this sort of process in their top management decision making. And we hope that as those practices gain traction, this will become more and more obvious and more and more accepted practice that structuring your decisions, looking for independence in your assessments of different dimensions of the decisions and delaying intuition until the moment you have evaluated them, those practices will become as standard as many of the ways of running meetings that we consider normal today. Olivier Siboni, our next guest on Breakthroughs, the Knowledge at HEC monthly podcast. Well, that's it for this edition. Please download all our programs from the HEC webpage or from the usual websites you're subscribed to. There's plenty of other podcasts to enjoy. Goodbye. Goodbye.